Once again to 699 per pound podcast. This room is stinking up with rose. Smelling very luxurious on a Sunday afternoon. Um, we have some new members in the team, which I think we will be uh, shouting out more frequently. Shout out to the homie Ken, looking like a runner from Seattle as he is. Um, but yo, so as always, you know, we have is a momentous occasion for 699 per pound podcast as we invite Shayna. Shayna, see, I was about to say Shauna. I apologize. Shayna Renee Stevenson, right? So check this. Okay, so we're about to go down on her history. Mm-hmm. Not the LinkedIn profile, but J. Key's breakdown. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, she's the founder of allsportseverything.com. She's a regular on Arise TV as an on-air personality. She also hosts a monthly video series called Unmanning the Game TV. She's been, is, is that incorrect? Well, nah. some of it's not as Up to current. Date. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. I have, I have. She has I other have. ventures. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll get down into that. Okay. So she's, but if anything, she's been a lifelong sports fan. That's still a fact, right? Yeah. Who's followed football, basketball, notably the Knicks, unfortunately. Uh, oh, okay. University of Michigan's Fat Five, which is a very classic reference. I was like, okay, like that's kind of <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I didn't want it to go too deep into that, but I was like, wow, okay, Chris Webber when he was in college? Yeah. Okay. And um, of course, tennis as well. Uh, not only did she watch sports, but she also studied it by getting a master's in sports business. She's worked for ESPN, but then left the alphabetized institution of sports thuggery, as I like to call it, in Connecticut, and uh, became an entrepreneur with her own platform, which talks about sports in her own unique voice as a black female in a male-dominated sports world. 699 per pound welcomes Shayna Renee Stevenson. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for the intro. Yeah, I know. I was like, fuck. Did I fuck that up? <laughs> no, you did a great uh, job. Was I? That was I? You all did right, a great cool, job. Cool, cool. So, thank you so much for joining us. We're I'm so excited to, be here. to have you. Um, we were just like brainstorming and thinking about um, the next guest that we want to bring and Julie, our amazing producer. Love um, Julie. Yes, love Julie. <laughs> a shout out to Julie. Um, and um, told us about you and how like, especially in this climate, sports climate and the things that are in media, I think you'd be person to really enlighten all of our listeners thank you about that but before anything i was curious what exactly is a sports culture analyst so i really needed to come up with a name that sums up everything that i do because Mm -hmm. i write about sports i um talk about sports and a lot of what i write and talk about is related to the lifestyle around the industry, mm-hmm. right? So it's related to race, it's related to gender, it's related to athlete activism, the politics and the intersection of sports and just culture overall. So analyst is a very sports sportsy term. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, f- I figured I'd call myself a sports culture analyst as I analyze or break down everything that goes on around 
like what happens on the field or on the court. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you do you feel like you're more representing like the athlete's point of view or like empathizing that? Yeah, I think I think so. You know, I started my my blog back in 2010. Um, allsportseverything.com and the reason that I started it was because I felt at the time that was like before Twitter was really Twitter as it is defined now before Instagram was a Mm -hmm. thing and really before athletes took control of their brand and recognized how much power they had in using their platform and using their voice I looked around at the industry, specifically media and I realized how white and male it was and yet the majority of the athletes that they're covering were black males. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, how how do you feel qualified to speak on these black male athletes? And so I felt there was a void there. And so I really started my blog and I wanted to use my platform as a way to advocate for these athletes as well as female athletes, um, to advocate for them in a way that only a black woman could. I don't have children, but when it comes to black men, like we're very nurturing, we're very um, committed to them and loyal to black men. And so I just didn't like a lot of the ways that white male sports writers would use coded language to describe them. And so I felt that that there was an an opportunity for me, sorry, to just, you know, provide a different perspective. Give me an example of a coded language. Um, so when they talk about certain athletes, like say a Tom Brady gets in a player's face, they say that he's very passionate versus mm. an Odell Beckham Jr. who might act up on the sidelines a little bit and they say that he's immature, he's too aggressive, he needs to better control himself. So there's a lot of differences in the way that white athletes are perceived by the media, which then informs the public's perspective around these athletes versus the way that black athletes are perceived around the media. Mm -hmm. And we even just recently saw it with Serena Williams and the way that she was mistreated at the US Open, right? So she's had a breakdown on the court just because she advocated for herself in that moment, whereas there's been plenty of white male athletes who have behaved in the same way, yet they didn't get the same ridicule that she received. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely it's not there's definitely an um, imbalance there. For sure. Mm -hmm. And if these stories are being written by, you know, white males or voices that don't empathize, obviously they can't advocate for these people exactly imagine how that selena article would have been if it was written by right jana versus you know i don't know john smith right right exactly like at what cost are these athletes you know at the end of the day they're kind of being picked over and controlled by a minority group which is a white men right so that is it's i think it is important to have such like and i'm not saying that this is what Mm -hmm. this is the point i want to make yeah i'm not saying that white men shouldn't have a voice Mm -hmm. but they shouldn't be the most dominant voice and they shouldn't be the only Only voice voice. Mm -hmm. so yeah because I was always so curious about, because I went to USC, okay. and, you know, it's a huge football school, and I, I didn't watch football that much, you know, but all the quarterbacks or whoever was on the posters, it was always white, mm-hmm. but I was so confused. I'm like, is it 
have we ever had like a black quarterback? Have we had like a non-quarterback? Like right. why are all, his jerseys always the one that are getting sold the most? And he's the one who has the media training and all that jazz. I, I was really confused about that. Right. And I guess it's like a strategic choice if you're treating your teams as a business. Like, oh, how can we sell right. jerseys? How can we blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and the quarterback position in football yeah. has always been a tricky one where we don't see many black quarterbacks because they have always deemed that position to be the most cerebral on the field, um, the most elite on the field, and one where they just felt that black athletes shouldn't um, hold. And so that's why a Cam Newton is important. That's why a Colin Kaepernick is important, a Russell Wilson, you know, and all of the black quarterbacks that we've seen. And this has been, I don't know how many we have this season, but I want to say within the last five years, we've probably had the most black quarterbacks in the NFL um, than we've ever seen. But yeah, it's, it's, it's important. So cool. Now nah, I feel like um, a lot of we kind of delved into it like just straight, straight into, into like <laughs> the, the, the inside dun, dun, of the shirt, dun, dun, you know dun. what I'm saying? Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, just to kind of get, create context for the listeners, um, like who you are mm-hmm. and like, how does she know so much about sports? Right. And like, why should we trust her opinion? I feel like right. we need to kind of build that up okay, a little bit, sure. right? So. I mean, uh, I read that you grew up watching football and seeing your biological brother play college Mm -hmm. football, right? So I think JoJo kind of touched upon that too, like um, that, you know, in college athletes, like predominantly, um, especially in fields of basketball and football, Mm -hmm. it's predominantly black players, right? Mm -hmm. And your brother Mm -hmm. being a black college athlete, like, you know, at the time, I'm sure you didn't think about all the racial, socio-political yeah. things, but like, well, what was that experience like for him? Like as a sister growing up, like well, watching him play. So I should say and be honest that he didn't play for a D1 program. Right, but still, like, but still, like, you <laughs> so know, even if it was like D2, so, D3, yeah, like so he that's went still. To, um, so he played football at, at Boston University and they don't even have a football program anymore. But at the time God he, damn. yeah. So, <laughs> so they, I mean, they had to make a decision. When he was in college, they were making a push for Title IX, and it really came down to: Do we want to? And if if we invest more funds in women's sports, it's either we invest more funds in women's sports or we cut this football program because we're an academic school anyway. And so they didn't really want to invest in the women's sports, and so they cut their football program. Um, so that's how that went down. But I don't. I don't really know what his experience was, to be honest. Going to the NFL was never really a reality for him. Um, so we never had those conversations. And he's six years older than me. So there's this, there's like, or I guess like five and a half. Um, so I guess there's a sizable age gap where we those conversations never came up. But what I can say is he started playing football when he was six years old. And so given the age gap, basically since I was born, right? But... It was just really great because my family, it's just the two of us and then my mom and dad. And so the four of us, every Saturday or Sunday, would be at his games cheering him on. And that really just became like 
our lifestyle for our family, like our culture, the culture of our family. I say that sports is our love language. Like if you go through mm. our family's WhatsApp group chat, there's a lot of sports talk in there. Like some smack, some just kind of like, did you see this article? Did you see that game last night? Um, so that still is very much the heart of who we are as a family, even as we've gotten older. Um, and that was also a way for me to connect with my dad. Very much a daddy's girl. So Saturday mornings, he'd take me to the basketball court and teach me the different positions, talk to me about different players in the NBA. I'd stay up and watch boxing matches with him. And my mom was the loudest one at the stadiums cheering on my brother. So the idea that women weren't sports fans never connected with me because my mom was always there. And I always saw families with moms and families with sisters in, you know, at those games. So that was always my first introduction into it. And so as I got older and I started just having being more vocal about liking more sports beyond just going to watch my brother play. And like we talked about this earlier, I was a huge Fab Five fan mm-hmm. in the 90s. I was a Yankees fan. I was a um, I'm a Jets fan. I was a Knicks fan. So as I started to root for these teams on my own, I'd have conversations with people and they'd recognize that. I had like a broad or a wealth of knowledge that they didn't seem was typical for a a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Or even a girl at the time. Because in college, I would be like, oh, I need to stay home and see how this game ends. I'll meet you guys later. Or I need to record this tennis match because I have classes during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was very much into it. And I didn't really... And I was one of those people who, when newspapers were a thing, (laughs) I would start at the back of the newspaper first and read all of the sports pages first. And then if I made it to the news and to see what happened, then I would see what happened yesterday. So that was kind of always my life. And I didn't realize that it could actually be a career for me until I was already doing something else. And I just kept hearing people say, like, you should work in sports. You should work in sports. And... Because it was so easy for me and it didn't seem like work, I didn't I didn't really take it seriously. Yeah. Um, because you went to Spelman. Yes. Before, yeah. And did that cultivate your interest or not was really it always like, oh, this is like my thing, but not necessarily my career. Thing? Yeah. So when I went to Spelman, I was a chemistry pre-med major. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Plot twist. Yeah. I was a chemistry pre-med major. Um I don't know how I got there. Like, I guess I needed to choose a major. And in high school, my favorite teacher was a chemistry teacher. And I did really well in her class when everyone else didn't. And I was like, oh, I'll just do chemistry. And this pre-med thing, I don't know why I ever had the idea of wanting to be a doctor, but it was something that I kind of clung on to when I was very young. And I just told my dad and mom over and over again that I was going to be a doctor. And then I started taking those classes and I was not doing well. And I was like, all right, I got to switch this up. So I went from a chemistry pre-med major to a psychology pre-med major because at that point I needed just to pull my GPA up. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this will be easy. I can just write papers. It's all about writing papers and reading. And that'll help me pull my GPA up. But then I realized I didn't want to go the pre-med track at all. So... Then I started taking more business classes, and I 
thought I wanted to work in investment banking. And my at the time, my brother was working at an investment banking firm, and he was just like, I don't know, Shana. It's tough. Like, people are miserable here. Yeah. You know, it's just not an easy... Like, you make a lot of money, but you don't really have a life to be able to enjoy that money, right? And I was just like, all no right. No time for sports. Yeah, <laughs> and so, exactly. But all through this... I'm sure I was, you could afford season tickets, though. <laughs> That's true. true. That's true. Um... <laughs> So, but all the throughout all this time, I love sports. I was always watching it and everything. And then I decided that I wanted to go into fashion. So I worked in fashion for a little bit. My first job out of college was in fashion. And from fashion, I just worked in marketing. So I did a lot of like dot com marketing stuff. That's when that was pretty new. Um, and then from there, I decided I was like, oh, let me see if I could work in sports. And it was really challenging for me to pivot into the industry because it's so competitive and everybody wants to work in sports, right? And um, that's when I made the decision that it might be worthwhile for me to get my master's. And my dad and mom weren't super convinced about it because they were like, grad school, that's expensive. And I was eyeing NYU because at the time that was the only sports marketing program in the city. Columbia hadn't so started So sorry to cut yet. you off real quick. No, go ahead. So I actually have some friends that I believe went into the sports management program mm-hmm. at NYU. And is, is, is it intertwined with the sports marketing program that they got? Um, it's part of it. Yeah. Right. So I, that's the program I did. Right. Yeah. So. I, I, you know, like a lot of my friends who went into that program was in the mid 2000s when they just started the yep. program around that time. Yeah, me too. So a lot of them, I think going in, it was a very selective program too. Yeah. It was very like small student body. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of them went in thinking like, I'm going to come out, be Jerry Maguire. <laughs> and then like, you know, I know five kids that went to that program. None of them work in sports right now. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad program, but it's just like, what does that consist? Like, what do they teach you? So, okay. So, for me, my experience was a little different because I had been applying to jobs before I decided to go into the program. No one responded to my resume. I decided to study for the GMAT, um, took the test. Got my score back, looked at it, called the admissions office and was like, what's the minimum score I need to get in? I had a little bit higher than the minimum. So I was like, all right, I'll send my application and I'll apply. I got accepted. And when I updated my resume, hadn't even started taking classes yet, just updated my resume. I suddenly started getting like responses back. And so... I eventually ended up with a job at ESPN, but I got an offer from the NBA. I had like some interviews with the USTA. So the responses definitely increased right, right. Um, as a result of me just being so associated like, with the program. So, so like, that wasn't my experience. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, if if you're like a young kid, you know, who's maybe writing college apps right now. You yeah. Know what I mean, and then he's like, yo, he or she is like, yo, like, I want to work in sports. Do you recommend this program? Do you think it has legs or I, is it just I a title? I would recommend they do internships. They right, try of to, course. They 1, try to do internships. Yeah. I feel like that's probably um, more effective at this point. Mm. The program for me, I mean, it worked out for me because they helped me pay for my um I mean, well, ESPN covered part of my tuition, so that was helpful. So I didn't finish with any debt. And then I was able to get into ESPN by saying that I went to this program. Because at the time, they really wanted people who either had MBAs or some type of master's. And so, honestly, I don't really know 
What's like, the answer, right? Yeah, what how people view that program now. I know Columbia has a program now and it feels like it's something that's a lot more popular than it was in the early or mid 2000s when I started. Um, so I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. they also have an undergrad program now as well. Right, right, right. So, so yeah, my friends went to the undergrad program. Maybe oh, okay. that's why it was a different experience. But um, I just wanted to know, like, because I feel like I have so many friends that know fucking every stats of, like, the yeah. quarterbacks and, like, what they do, what this pitcher do, what is this fucking you know, income and all mm-hmm. it is. And these motherfuckers don't know shit about politics or the local government, <laughs> right? And they don't even know shit about their own kids, but they know, yeah. like, stuff about their favorite players and yes. their favorite teams. So sports is such a deeply embedded culture yeah. to the point of, like, a form of fanaticism yeah. in this country, right? But so it's like, also a business. It is. It is yeah. a, a multi-quadruple billion dollar yeah. business. So my question is, is, like, because everybody feels like they know about sports, what can this like what can these programs and colleges like possibly teach them like about how to maneuver in the business side of sports? Is that what it is or Yeah, I, like in the classes that I took, God, I'm trying to think back mm-hmm. now. Well, there's like sports journalism classes that teach you like how to write. Um, there are classes I remember taking a finance class that t- taught me about CBA agreements and contracts and how to analyze those types of things and understanding the different revenue streams and how teams and leagues make money. Um, so I felt like it was helpful helpful from that perspective. But I think a lot of people want to get into the business because they think it's a really sexy industry, yeah. which it is. But they also feel like, oh, I'm going to be going to the Super Bowl for free every year. Yeah. I'll be at NBA All-Star. And no, (laughs) a lot of those tickets go to the sponsors who are paying millions of dollars to keep these leagues and teams afloat, right? Or who pay media rights. Um, So a lot of those tickets are already accounted for. And if you're lucky, then you're lucky. But I feel like the average person working in sports is literally sitting in a cubicle if they have a TV, great, but not even everyone gets a TV to follow the games or to follow the news. So I think at the end of the day, what people realize is that it's a job. Yeah. Um, like just like every any other, other job. Like any other exactly. job. Yeah, exactly. just because you work in sports, that doesn't mean it's any more sexy. Yeah, exactly. you might get to like see an athlete once in a while. Mm-hmm. It's like the same shit yeah. for hip hop. Like I yeah. worked in hip hop as a magazine editor. Yeah, like. Beanie Siegel came by the office after his prime, but like <laughs> yeah. I was still in a cubicle writing right. articles, no, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like meeting deadlines, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Exactly. Like it's the same and shit. It's high pressure too. Like it is. to your point, there's a lot of deadlines. Um and because so much money is being spent, like you have to be on it. Mm-hmm. You have to be on it. So if you make mistakes, like those can be very costly mistakes. So the pressure, like when I decided to leave ESPN, I was just were like, you in Connecticut? No, I was you here in, in the, the city. You were in yeah, the uh, Midtown office. Yeah, yeah got you. Um, sixty six in Columbus. I just remember my BlackBerry. Every time my BlackBerry would go Shout off, out I to would just right. I know. <laughs> Let's bring it back. Um, BBM all day. <laughs> 
every time my BlackBerry would go off, I would just like get this pit in my stomach just because it, I was just wondering, did I mess up? Is Does something have to change? Mm-hmm. And I just was like, I can't yeah. do this. And this like, thing that you loved became something that yeah. you fucking hate. Yeah. Like, I hate, I hate, I still have, ish, like I still have like this, PTSD for rap, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I love rap so much that I worked in hip hop, but yeah. then like after I left that industry, I was like, I don't give a fuck about rappers anymore. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like it's hard. It's it's like when you when you are young and you're like, I'm gonna work at McDonald's because then I can eat all the McDonald's I want for free, and then I, you're I like, know, I, I, don't I, I, I don't want. I don't, a I don't burger. think that's necessarily the case, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get your I get <laughs> your like, reference. <laughs> Yeah, but it's like I don't ever and I didn't want that to happen with me in sports, you know, because it is something that I love so much. I didn't want to become so desensitized to what I loved in terms of just kind of like the passion of the game and the thrill of the game that I was just like, "Eh, I don't really care about this anymore. Mm. But can you bring us so we know when you left how you felt, but when you first walked in through those yeah. doors and you're like I'm this is my made day it. one at Mama ESPN. I made it yes <laughs> yeah so it's it's an amazing experience because um if you if I feel like well I'll speak for myself Damn, so you made me the devil when you're like yo let's talk about <laughs> I'm positive. always the light <laughs> alright fine um if I could say when I decided to work in sports my dream job, you know, it sounds so cliche, but everyone is like, my dream job. My dream job would have been to work for ESPN, yeah. right? And so then for me to reach that goal so quickly, I was just like, oh, okay, well, that was easier than I thought it would be. Um, and I didn't have connections. Like, I literally applied for my job on, like, monster.com or something, and somehow my resume popped up and I got an interview. But... So you go to an orientation for your first day, and that's in Connecticut, right? right? And so you're driving up two hours or whatever, and it's not too far off the exit, but you know you're there because you see this huge ESPN sign, these huge satellites. I mean, you guys know, like, working in TV and mm-hmm. stuff. like, And it is one of those moments where you're just like, wow, like, I'm here. And then, and they call it the campus because it's just, like, a bunch of buildings and, like, really beautiful manicured lawns. And so when you get in through the buildings, whether you're in the cafeteria, just walking through the hallways, you're passing people that you grew up watching on TV. Mm. And you try not to freak out, but on the inside, you're completely freaking out. Um, And then there's all these like really amazing pictures from great moments that either happened in sports or happened on their airwaves. So it's it's a really great experience for sure. And even when I've been back since I've left, and I don't think that feeling ever gets old, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. that you're part of something that not only that you grew up idolizing, but is like you're literally part of American history. Yeah, right. And I worked on so one of the things that I worked on when I was there are the ESPN's This Is Sports Center campaign. So mm. those are like the funny ones with the athletes who are like in the office yeah, and yeah, doing yeah. like yeah. Yeah. So 
sometimes they still run or they'll show them on their social media and it's like, yo, I did that. Yes. Like, <laughs> that's part of my resume. That's part of my legacy, so mm-hmm. to speak, is where I can say that I worked on this specific campaign with this athlete and it's can something you that... tell us one campaign that's memorable? Oh, goodness. With a particular athlete? Sure. Um, so one of the ones they recently ran um, was with Al- Albert Pujols. I can't remember which hit it was. But it might have been like his 3,000th hit or something. And they ran that one. And it was um, because they call him the machine. So we were in like a copy, a copy um, machine room and the copy machine was talking back to him. So that one was really fun. That's hilarious. Um, Another one that I worked on was with Stuart Scott, rest in peace. Um, Arnold Palmer, rest in peace. And so that one was in the calf. And so that one was cool just because I always loved Stuart Scott growing I mean, up. He yo. was, yeah, he was like everything. For sure. So then to be able to work with him, yeah. yeah, that was that was awesome. We did one with Usain Bolt where he literally like clocked in because, you know, he's, he's so, so fast. fast yeah. right. So it was like him showing up to the office for work clocked in and then four seconds later he clocked out right 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 <laughs> and that was the whole spot um so That's that genius. one was fun yeah so we've had a, I've, I've done a lot of fun fun spots um, no, that's pretty the, awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's that's fucking awesome. Because yeah. I feel like I recognize all of them. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not even like the biggest sports fan. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think. So let's but let's go back to the uh the point about you leaving um your shiny corporate gig to like <laughs> start to your, was, yeah. to start your own um endeavor, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you still love sports for you to continuously work in sports. Mm-hmm. So like tell us about how you started. I mean, you kind of gave us a breakdown yeah. about why you started uh the blog, mm-hmm. but um you're continuously growing it and that's part of your brand as part of your business so like what is it about this particular uh platform that you feel like is going to add something in the industry that's missing um i think what it all comes down to is storytelling so i also write for espnw um i just did what is the espnw again their women's platform yeah um i did it feature on Naomi Osaka. Right, um, right. Yeah, before she won the US Open, I mm. went down to Florida, interviewed her in July. So that was really dope to see her rise and all of that at the US Open. Um, but it all comes down to storytelling. So whether I'm on, whether it's through video, whether it's through me writing, and I also do marketing as well. So mm-hmm. I manage social and digital for sports brands, one of them being the New York Liberty, right? So a, a WNBA team. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always about me trying to create these narratives or share different nuances that may not necessarily be talked about mm-hmm. or known or like unearthed as much um so that's really always what my goal is and then i'm and then being from new york i'm always interested in like how sports and fashion meshes and how you know and then just living in this world sports and politics and athlete activism and just always telling those stories right right 
So I saw in one of the interviews that you said sometimes you're the Jane of all trades. Oh, and did I say that? Yeah. And, <laughs> and it, it said um, you were struggling. Yeah, you didn't say it anywhere. You said it on Essence. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and you're like, wait, did I say that? Um, no, but you were talking about how it really took you talking to your family members and yeah. friends to help you kind of narrow down because you have so many amazing yeah. ideas. Like, how do you make those decisions of, you know what, right now, this is kind of the most promising can you walk us through? Because I'm sure our audiences sometimes are like, yeah. I don't know, what if I choose this and this other door closes? Like, how do you work through those decisions? Well, in hindsight, say so I've been working for myself now for eight years, right? Yeah. And so when you're, and I've had many, many detours. So when I left ESPN, my plan, my initial plan was to start my own sports marketing agency. Mm-hmm. And that was to work with athletes on branding Um, and women athletes as well. I'd like to make that distinction because Mm -hmm. people hear athletes and they really only think about male athletes. Um, And so, and then also bringing back in my fashion, I also wanted to get into image consulting, so some styling, um, branding from that perspective as well. And that was in 2010, 2011, when the NBA and the NFL were in the lockout phase. And so I would pitch these athletes. They'd be all down for it. And then when it came time to talk money, suddenly they're like, oh, well, I don't know what's going to happen. And so things never really took off for me there. I mean, I had some clients, but it was not sustainable. And I started All Sports Everything as a hobby, to be honest. And it was just kind of like, as I mentioned before, I'm a, a Jets, a Knicks fan, and a Yankees fan. And so I really wanted to vent <laughs> my frustrations around being a Jets and a Knicks fan. And the, the Yankees at the time were doing well. But it was really for me to vent and also talk about the business of sports as well. Um, and then again, give voice to these athletes and kind of just provide a different perspective that I felt was missing. And that started to slowly but surely grow. And so after having several conversations with my parents and my brother, who's an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, he told me, he was like, Shayna, this, I know what you think you want to do, but that's not popping off for you. So I think what you really should focus on is your blog and how you can grow it. Mm-hmm. And the, it wasn't really what I wanted to hear at the time, but he was absolutely right. And so that's where I decided to put a lot of my energy in and I started to invest in myself in terms of doing these videos as well Um, and then that led to me getting TV opportunities that led to me getting teaching opportunities and just kind of like all of these doors started to open up for myself or open up for me and as I look back now I think I said this already, but all of the dot, all of the dots connect because if I never worked at ESPN, then I wouldn't be as savvy as I am in marketing right now and understand how, you know, networks work with the leagues and the teams and the, and the athletes. And, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't have that knowledge. And so I would tell anyone who just is kind of feels like they're all over the place that, yeah, sometimes you do have to pull back from one area to focus on another area, but don't ever feel like it's in vain because it all comes together. Like it eventually all does connect and it'll, and you'll see the big picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to go back to, um, you know, your point about covering uh, underrepresented athletes and 
I kind of caught myself even asking, yo, what is ESPNW? Right. right. And you said that you also uh, do work with Liberty, which is a WNBA team. Mm -hmm. So as a female sports fan, critic, and an observer, right, what are your thoughts about, like, WNBA mm -hmm. and, like, or anything that is, like, categorizes a woman's category, right? Especially, like... And, I, I, and I'm going to read off this because I just want to phrase everything right. Okay. Right? So as a man, right, is it wrong for me to have a certain bias about women, like women specific leagues, right? Because for some reason, right, I don't have any issue watching like women playing tennis or women playing golf, right? But it's like I never really see myself like, oh, I got to watch the WNBA game, right? And, and I'm sure I'm not the only guy, mm -hmm. right? And... Or, like, even women playing, you know, soccer in the Summer Olympics or something. Um, is that, is that like, is, is it, like, the lack of marketing that's really the issue? Or is it, like, so, it just, like... So, have you... Yeah. I yeah. almost feel like you're touching on, like, whose responsibility is it to uplift these right. groups? Because it's saying, like, if, if he naturally doesn't want to watch it, like, is he supposed to force himself to watch it? Right. Or is, should it be an infrastructure that highlights and give more funding to, like, these right. these leagues, right? Is that like, what you're saying? Because, <laughs> even, like, 10 years ago, like, I probably would have been, like, that probably wasn't, wouldn't even have even in my psyche, right? Because, but now, like, because there's so many conversations about, like, you know, uh, representation of females in media. And, like, mm -hmm. I kind of was, like, checking myself the other day. Mm -hmm. So like, when you were having this conversation with yourself, what mm. were your inner thoughts saying? Because, like, when I was in high school or middle school, like, you go see your high school female team mm -hmm. playing basketball, and then you enjoy it for what it is. Of course, you're not going to expect them to dunk and, like, mm -hmm. do some of the more wow shit that your boys do. But, like, you enjoy it for the moment, right? Mm -hmm. But then I was like, yo, why do I ever... Like, I, I didn't really have an answer, you know what I'm saying? Like, is, I was like, is it because I think these female athletes are not as entertaining for me to watch because of, like, their athleticism? Or is it like, I just don't know a household female athlete that plays basketball? You know what so I mean? So you don't know? So Maya Moore... Uh, I know of her, but like, it's not like Candace Parker. Yeah, like it's like those names, like it rings a bell, but it's not like yo, I'm watching their highlights. Do you, you know watch saying? college? Do you um, watch like UConn? Yeah, I mean, but I don't really. I, I mean, because I think what's interesting is a lot of people watch UConn's women's basketball play. Mm -hmm. Like my brother, for example, we right. had a long, heated conversation about this over the summer. Mm -hmm. We um we were in Hawaii and we were talking about this. And y'all were in Hawaii talking about UConn <laughs> basketball. Why? Yeah, well, Why? because. <laughs> Because at the time it was um, All-Star. So because mm -hmm. I work for the Liberty, we had one of our players, Tina Charles, was on the All-Star team. And so I had to work, even though I was on vacation in Hawaii. Oh, man. And so we were tuning in to the games and, you know, all of the All-Star activities. And so that naturally sparked conversations around WNBA basketball and women's sports and the perception and the disparities and the inequities and all that stuff. So, and he was like, you know, I watch UConn play, but I don't watch the WNBA. And he was like, I feel like it's because with the UConn, I know that 
history is always like on the line in some way. Either they're going to try, they're trying to extend their undefeated record, or someone could upset them. So he was saying that, and I thought I told him that this was complete BS. That why, he felt, why, is, why is it BS? I'm gonna tell you. Okay. <laughs> he was he was saying that he felt like there were more storylines in. Um, UConn's like UConn offered more storylines because they're such a historic team than the WNBA. That's completely false because if anyone who follows the NBA could WNBA could tell you there's always storylines and in sports in general there's always storylines going on. I can't speak for why people don't watch the WNBA. I watch the WNBA. I know the teams. I know the players. I think it's entertaining and it's not just because I get a check. It's because. I'm really entertained by them. I feel like they're the best athletes in the world and that people who don't watch them are really missing out on some really fantastic basketball. Um, It might be one of those sports that is best to experience live. Like we hear that a lot about hockey, right? Right, So you're like, oh, if you go live, like it's one of the best in-game experiences you could ever have versus watching it on TV, um, which I could I could attest to as well. I would agree with that about hockey. And that could maybe be the case for the WNBA as well. But what I do know is that over the years, ratings are increasing, attendance is up. And so they're seeing a lot of growth in their league. I do feel that the media and the marketing needs to increase, um, but that and that goes back to revenue, right? So it's kind of like the chicken and the egg. So do we invest more money in this league in the hopes that it'll pay gonna, off right. and generate more revenue on the back end? Or do we continue to wait for us to have this big boom with this league and then have all of the um, sponsors, brands, exact, et cetera, pour into this league. And this is something that I've, I've been saying, like after Naomi Osaka um, re-upped with Adidas, they said that her contract was the highest paid contract for a female athlete um, for the Adidas brand. There are so many WNBA athletes who rep Adidas, and that to me was just kind of insane because, like, these players are superstars here. They're superstars overseas. They play year-round, right? So the WNBA regular season ends in May. I'm sorry. It ends in August. It starts in May. ends in August. Playoffs go through September. These players, within weeks, are on a plane to Turkey, to China, somewhere overseas, excuse me, to play, continue playing, because they don't make enough money here to be able to Oh, just, so like, they eat. do a couple other leagues. Yeah. Not like the NBA, like, not like J.R. Smith just chilling in the clubs oh, and no, sliding no, no, in no. DMs. They're playing. Oh, shit, like, that's <laughs> they're fire. They're over there that's playing. So, no, I love J.R., man. I do, too. Yeah. But they're over there playing because they they eat better over there. They get better checks over there. They're, like, seen as huge... Um, so their game gotta be good. Yeah. They're like, the best in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. No, they're the best Korea. in the world. See, that's the thing. I had no idea then. that yeah. like yeah. WNBA players like and that's, and play that's, year round. And that's why, and this is, I mean, and this is real. So, and thanks for allowing us to have this conversation because I think this is really important for people to understand. Um, yo, that's a six ninety nine gem right there, yo. <laughs> Did y'all know that WNBA players play year round? That's fucking nuts. I had no idea. That's wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
earlier this season when I don't remember the exact numbers of LeBron's contract with the Lakers, but when it was announced that he it, signed with the Lakers, how right. much like he's rich enough. Right. You know what I mean? But like, when his contract with, with the Lakers was announced, a lot of WNBA players tweeted about it and were just like, wow, you know, and not saying that they need to earn as much as LeBron James does, but just saying that we need to earn more. So Max WNBA contract is like a hundred K. What? What? Yeah, like yes. Oh my God. That's crazy. Yes. And and, 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 and was the career's lifespan you like maximum ten? Just like NBA? Like For the most part, yeah. But like if you get traded, you're not gonna keep that hundred K. I mean, or that's max. That's max. So that so means that you're your making vets. like yeah. 50, 40, 60. Yeah. Yes. So, so if, your rookie contract. You're making more. Yeah. You're, Yo, a fucking dude who bunts in the NFL <laughs> makes what? Like, uh, like. Nah, my fault. Not bunts. Um, <laughs> you just lost. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bunts. <laughs> Why did I say bunt? My fault. Yeah, the kicker. You're not even drinking, Jakey. He's like, he makes, he makes like what, 150 to 160k, I think. I think he makes more. Probably yeah. more, right? But yeah, so like I had a, rookie, a homie in high school was like, yeah, I want to just do that in the NFL, and I still make six figures. So a rookie contract is like between 30, 40. Um, That's wild. And then they're flying yo. commercial. They're, you know, so. They are not treated like you would think a professional sports league would treat its top tier athletes or any of its athletes, especially in America, right, where we pride ourselves on being the best, like whether you agree with that or not. And so it's tough for these players because a lot of them, when you th- when you think about them playing all year round, that means that they're not they like their bodies are not recovering Oh, yeah. And that's what they have to use in in order to perform, right? That's their moneymaker. So how do you ever expect them to just be in peak performance shape when they're playing 12 months a year? That's fucking wild. Yeah. That's crazy. So when they're like... And so what happens is, so a few years back, Diana Taurasi, who people consider the GOAT of the WNBA, she took a year off because I think it was China. China offered to pay her a million dollars. They were like, sit out this whole season and we'll pay you a million dollars. She was like, done. Yes. (laughs) Say no more. Say done, right? So... So that had a lot of critics, myself included, saying, like, how is this going to affect the league long term if there are teams overseas who are willing to pay these athletes what they're worth? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've seen it with other players choosing A million to, dollars is like it's still nothing, nothing in compared. NBA. Exactly. Exactly. Like, these motherfuckers sometimes get, like, an injury and I mean, no shots to Rose, but like my my guy, like yeah. you know what I'm saying, like yo, like oh, don't all even those bring guys, like I mean, that's a whole another, that's like, a whole another conversation, his, my guy. Yeah, that's but, a whole yeah. Damn. So, damn, so it, gave, that's it, it just gave me a whole new perspective, man. Yeah. Holy mm-hmm. shit. So yeah. I mean, so that's like the frustration. No wonder their fundamentals in WNBA is flawless. Like you never see them miss a fucking free throw. I mean, and that's the other thing. So like, that I mean, that's a really good point too, is because and you mentioned earlier, like you know that if you go to a, a female basketball game, they're not going to be dunking. They're not going to do this. They can shoot their asses off. Their passing is great and. Essentially, when you drill it down, their game is a very Steph Curry-esque game. Right. Yeah. 
Definitely. He doesn't play an above the rim game. Right. You know what I mean? Yet, where people argue he's top three in the league for the WNBA, oh, I don't want to watch that. It's not exciting enough. Yeah. Mm. This is double standard. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And so wow. you hear a lot of, not a lot, but recently, like NBA players have been a lot more vocal in terms of supporting WNBA players and saying that their fundamentals are great and so they can learn by watching them the 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 new york liberty and this is probably not a really great example because they didn't have a good season this year but <laughs> they, they definitely have a way better seasons no, than the Knicks. no not this season <laughs> not not this season but yeah. in general yeah in like, general yeah, because like, they yeah in the general they've Knicks, gone to the Knicks conference hasn't done um, shit since fucking alan houston left you know what i'm saying yeah so. but um in practice, the WNBA, I mean, I'm sorry, the New York Liberty will scrimmage against an all-guys team. And so if you talk to them, they're like, like these girls can ball. Mm-hmm. They're competitive. The energy is there. They can shoot. So playing against them really forces them to up their game. Mm. And so, I mean, it's just, it's really frustrating. Right, got it's, you. Yeah, it's got very you. frustrating. So... To sum it up, is really a chicken or the egg mm-hmm. conversation yeah. about why guys like Jakey Cho doesn't watch <laughs> WNBA. It's like, yeah. is it, is, you know what I'm saying? It's really like, yo, like, why? Yeah. You know no. what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. why isn't there more marketing behind yeah. it? And, and just uh, the few really minutes. Yeah, because the few minutes we've been here with Chana, we learned things that we've never been traditionally been fed, right? right. And I kind of wanted to use this as a segue to talk about um, kind of like state of the union of your world, like where you feel like the biggest pain points are, like things like this, issues like this, right? Yeah. And I wanted to read uh, the quote from the Essence article, the interview that you did, okay. just to kind of set the stage for our audience. Um, you said that the irony is that sports media is a predominantly white industry, and yet the majority of athletes are black men. As a black woman, I recognize the importance of contributing a point of view that is often ignored. I look at my uniqueness as an opportunity to fill a void. I like to advocate for the athletes who are unfairly criticized or offer a different perspective that may have not been considered. Can I just add something to what you just said, sure. Jojo? Um, and there's also like a quick fact, right? You know, mathematics, this is what I like to talk about. So. NFL has 68% black athletes. NBA has 74% black athletes. But in terms of ownership and the two leagues, Michael Jordan is the only owner wow. of a particular team. Yeah, so the only black owner. Because, only black owner. Um, yeah, sorry, uh, I didn't have to read yeah, yeah, only, only black only owner, owner yeah. of a color. Actually, the Buffalo Bills, like, the male owner's wife, she's yeah. of Korean descent, but she's adopted. So, like, she, like, well, like, no, no, she, she was adopted, like, and then, no, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, pardon owner, me. But she's an owner because she married the owner. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. So, like, first lady. Yeah. But the, Jacks, I want, the Jacksonville Jaguars owner is of color. I want to say he's no, Pakistani. No, no. Right, 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 Pakistani. right, 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 right. Like JoJo mentioned, majority of the athletes uh, playing the sports are black. Right. Now, like, this disparity obviously is not just exclusive to sports. Like, you see that in other fields, especially, like, entertainer, mm-hmm. in, entertainment, like, you know, mm-hmm. rap. Hip-hop, <laughs> you know, yeah. Hip-hop. Absolutely. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And, um, and before the interview started, you were talking about how people look at 
these athletes, black athletes, as entertainers rather than human beings. Mm-hmm. And as a woman of color, you don't see them that way, you right? Know, because they're your brothers, they're your fathers, they're yep. you know your family and friends, my nephews, yeah. yeah. So I would love for you to expand on that. Yeah. So I just feel like I don't think there is more there has ever been in our lifetime. Um, than the present where we've actually seen a lot of people just degrade athletes in the way that they've done, right? So whether it's just shut up and dribble like the Fox News reporters said for LeBron to do or when everyone was criticizing Cam Newton for dabbing for his, you know, during his super... he recently lost an endorsement deal, right? Uh, um, Well, he did during that period, yeah, when when that was a whole, like, thing... I don't even know what to call it. It was just ridiculous. But um, so we've seen where athletes are often criticized for speaking up and about anything that's related to anything that takes place off the field, whether it's politics, social justice, Colin Kaepernick, obviously, you know, him using his platform to raise awareness for police brutality and to protest. He's been out of a job now for over two years. Um so I think it's just really frustrating for like I'm currently not watching the NFL. Um, this is my second season not watching, and is it hard? Yes, because I still love the sport. I'm supportive of these athletes, but I just need to figure out another way to support them because for me, while the Ka- Colin Kaepernick situation may have been a catalyst for me to say, you know what, I'm going to sit this season out and sit out last season. When I think about the league overall and a lot of the the way that they move, whether it was the domestic violence situations that they had, um, and even the CCE and how they covered that up and really allowed these athletes to not put the athletes' best interest at heart. And they willingly concealed like life-saving in information from these athletes. And now we know how damaging it is and how life-threatening it is. And so for me, it's just kind of like, that's not really a league that I want to support right now. So it's challenging for me because at the end of the day, I love sports. I love football. I feel like it's super entertaining, but I also have to decide to draw the line somewhere. And so for me, I've just been like, okay, I'm just going to chill until I decide that I can either trust them a little bit more or... I just decided to sell out. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see that happening just because I, I'm like pretty convicted in my beliefs. But yeah, so that's why I love like what LeBron is doing. And you have a LeBron James who is the... Like there's no athlete bigger than him right now in the planet, right? And... He's not afraid to speak up for what he believes in. And not only does he speak up and speak out and challenge our president, I can't even like (laughs) say say it. I'm like, how else can Mm -hmm. I refer to him uh, without giving him that validation? But (laughs) without not only does he challenge him, but he's also using his resources to create these platforms that give other athletes a voice through many of his um, projects and media. So whether it be movies, whether it be digital projects, whether it be shows that he's created for HBO, um, the school that he built in 
Akron, Ohio, his hometown. I mean, that's huge. You know, that's really reinvesting back into the community and creating opportunities because it's going to take all of that and more to reverse a lot of what we're seeing on the political front right now. And I don't want to get too political, but... um, No, please be political. You're rocking all black today. I'm rocking all black today. But yeah, you know, so I, I really... I'm great to see athletes are charged with understanding that it's it requires them to make a difference and that they're really in a position to impact change in a way that we've never seen before. We haven't seen since the 60s. And I would even argue that like when Muhammad Ali was you know, at the height of his activism, he didn't have the platform and the resources, the financial resources to make an impact like LeBron James does or like a Colin Kaepernick does. Right. Um, so that's why we're in a time that is so ripe for opportunity. And I'm just really proud to be contributing to it in some way or the other through my work, whether it be writing or what I do on video or other ways as well. So, so going back to the point, um, you know, to sum it up, is it is it safe for me to say that I feel like um, to balance out the inequality of athletes per owner or per viewers were, you know, that ratio that more athletes that has now financial freedom, that has uh, that platform to speak about issues should really just utilize those platforms more wisely to uplift, um, you know, society, you know, like different issues in society. And that's eventually going to help the the inequality in the leagues. Is that is that what you're implying? Or? I think I think it'll help just in general. Societal, yes, right. from a societal landscape or a scope. I think so. Um, and I also want to shout out Jer- Derek Jeter, who is the owner of the Miami Marlins. Yeah, he's black. Right. (laughs) And we didn't talk, I know we were specifically talking about the NFL and the NBA, but I need to shout him out too. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sorry, what was your question? Yeah, like how do you swing the pendulum of like, so the power is clearly. Right, because that's not going to change, right? The fact that the, the inequality in the league is not going to change anytime soon. Yeah, I think the ba- the imbalance is it's going to be generations. It, it's going to take generations. Yeah, it's going right. to definitely take generations for that to change because these uh, these owners either they need to die and like <laughs> you know what I mean in order yeah. for new like uh, Donald Sterling, right? So if everyone remembers the Donald Sterling situation with the Clippers. He got his team taken away from him because he was on tape saying, calling like he's the one that got caught. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and I'm like, come on, these white guys are like, come on, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, these white guys, they gotta be saying some wild, flagrant shit, right? (laughs) But there was, it was on tape, right? Right. So it's like, okay, here's all the evidence we need in order for him to get up out of here. But they replaced him with another white guy. So one. Unless we're talking about like groups, because even Derek Jeter, with him being a owner of the Miami Marlins, he's part of a group. Right. Um, so majority shareholders, that's a lot of bread. Like right. even when yeah. the um, 
Hove had like a little tiny stake in. Yeah, he yeah, had a very had a small stake in the new, in the in the Brooklyn Nets, but he right. like rode that out as as long as, as he, he could. Should, yeah. And then even when Diddy was talking about possibly buying the um, Carolina yeah, Panthers, Panthers yeah. it was like Diddy, you don't have that kind of money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> No, that's no, a lot of money. No, that's a lot of money. So you have to, yeah. you have to get you a whole. You need to get to get, yeah, get your you crew get together. You got to get a squad. Yeah, you know what I mean, you got to yeah. get your crew together. And unfortunately, and I, I'm gonna like quote Kanye on this as much oh, as God. I have different. Okay, now oh, now nah, nah, listen, listen, listen. Oh, this is before his, he went oh, to the Oval God. Office, right? So he was saying like, yo, like why isn't there? Why is it? He was saying something like, there's only five or less than ten um, black billionaires in the world. And he was like mentioning like why, and like anyways. But anyways, yeah, like so that, that, that was my point. I just kind of used that. As a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that was like kind of. I mean, okay, facts don't matter. <laughs> facts <laughs> this, first. In this climate, in this climate. Oh but but so yeah. that reminds me of a Chris Rock joke where he talked about. If he's like, you know, I don't remember if he, I don't remember which athlete he said. Let's mm. say he said LeBron James. He's like, LeBron James is rich. The dude who signs with LeBron James check is wealthy. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like, and if Bill Gates woke up tomorrow with Oprah's money, he'd jump out of a window <laughs> and slit his throat on the way down saying, I can't even put gas in my plane. No, for like, sure. No, no, and this one, is older one, now because I think yeah. Oprah might be a billionaire now. Yeah, Oprah yeah. got real. But I think even back that when he said that. was in 2004. Yeah, even back then, Oprah, Oprah was a billionaire, even back then. No, she wasn't a billionaire, wasn't a billionaire in 2004. At, okay. But she, I mean, she had money, but she didn't have. She had have. bread, though. She, yeah. she was putting herself she on a magazine every month. She had money. You know? <laughs> right. Plane. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's like. So there's very much a distinction between yeah. levels of Like Jeff money. Bezos is looking at like oh Elon Musk, like you a broke motherfucker. You yeah. know what I'm Jeff saying? Jeff Bezos. Isn't he now officially the richest, richest man in the world? Richest guy in the world, yeah. That's yeah. insane. Jeff That's Bezos crazy. is looking at like fucking Mark Zuckerberg, like, yeah. come on, son. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like. And Mark has what? It's like, come here, kid. You're cute. Yeah. Here's some yeah. gas like, money for your private plane. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but so it seemed to wrap this up in the more optimistic fashion. <laughs> nah, life is, not optimistic. Um, life is not optimistic. Life is not optimistic. Life is pain. <laughs> um, I think the work that you're doing, um, obviously, and the work that we're aspiring to do is kind of educating the masses and the audiences. I mean, you're an adjunct professor, so you're, you know, teaching younger generations or people who want to pursue this field of these gems, right? Just to make them just more critical of the things that they watch and consume. And um, to also, like, recognize that you don't have to dim who you are in order to fit into these spaces. I think that that's something that... Ooh, I like that. You don't have to dim who you are. yeah to fit into these spaces mm. because like we're all people of color right and so as we all exist in these majority white spaces we deal with the microaggressions on a regular basis and just how frustrating that is right and so you have to get to a point where you're okay with just being who you are not feeling like you need to assimilate in order yeah and exactly and not apologize in order to be successful or in order to play the game that they want to play um 
And that was something that it took me a while to learn is particularly like once I left ESPN, I was able to settle into myself and not be apologetic about that or hide who I am. Um, But when I was very much in corporate America on a day to day, I wasn't 100 percent comfortable just because there wasn't anyone or anyone or there weren't many people who looked like me. Um, There weren't many people who, excuse me, who who I could see as examples or representatives of doing the things that I wanted to do. Um, So I didn't really know it was possible. And that can be really disheartening, right? If you don't have a great nucleus around you and a family or friends who are supportive of you and are able to encourage you because you don't see other people that look like you doing it and they're telling you that you can, that who knows where that can lead you. so that's also something that I try to, to pride myself on is being an example for the next generation mm-hmm. who are up and coming and whether that's me wearing my braids or rocking my fro or whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's like You yeah. doing a dab yeah. in the finish line. Yeah, doing a dab <laughs> at the finish line or, yeah. or, or the at the rock or Yeah, whatever, whatever it is. Whatever like, dance now that's popular. This is me. Or mm-hmm. like when Serena Cripp walked. <laughs> I mean, she, she has every right amazing. to do it. Like, I loved it. Uh-huh. You know? Compton, yeah, yo, like. when she crib walked, like that to me was one of the blackest moments in sports. Whenever and like not... Jr. throws a gang sign, I'm like, <laughs> no. But you were becoming the person that you needed when you were younger, basically. Oh yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah, and I'm I'm so glad that this is exactly what this podcast is about. So like, so people who you know can little black girls or you know younger black women can listen to you and to be like, she paved it for me and mm-hmm. you know, she. Um, showed me that I could be whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. So I'm so thankful that you've come and Word. kind of given us all these gems. Thank Man, you. Jojo um, with the Mother Teresa finish line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'd love for you to give us a plug on some of the projects that you're working on now. Like, oh, yeah, can I just say this? Uh, sorry, like Melissa Harris Perry, you were on it. Oh, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I was on that a few times too. Oh, so are alums, you? Yes. alumni. <laughs> You know what I mean? MSNBC Wait, what's alumni. That show? What's know, most Melissa that? Harris-Berry. She, She's uh, on MSNBC. She, was, she had her own show on MSNBC on uh, on the weekends, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a funny story. So I wanted to be on that show. Finally was able to get on. And I talked about Cam Newton and dabbing. And it was a Super Bowl um, episode. And that turned out to be her last episode. <gasps> oh. And we did not know it. And when I was leaving, the producer were like, oh, my God, you were great. We'll definitely mm. have you back. Mm. And then they sent, that they was sent it. you a black card to your crib and all that? <laughs> yeah, they did. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I miss oh that lady. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, yeah. She, like, I never Full really circle. had a deep interaction with her. But yeah. she was like. She provided a great platform for, for people like people us who yeah. wouldn't have never had an opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Carrying out the legacy. Yeah, no, sorry to sidetrack because, but like, I, I was like a young, I, I mean, I'm, I'm young now, but like, I was <laughs> younger then. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting next to like. Michael Eric Dyson talking about race and I'm like what the fuck am I gonna say like you know what, I mean? like, you know what I mean and she kind of gave me the platform yeah. and I look back and I cringe at myself like on what I said why the, no just because like you know I just wasn't prepared I think okay but the fact that she still kind of gave me the platform yeah, is like, yeah no she gave a lot of us a platform yeah, yeah. I did yeah. I. she I mean she has you back right 
Oh yeah, she had me back a few times. So she was probably go. like, "Damn, yo, this Asian kid say some wow shit." <laughs> <laughs> as long as he doesn't curse, bring him back. You know, like, <laughs> I love it. And we'll put it in the TV, show notes. So, yeah, yeah, it was live. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But she was dope. I mean, she is dope. But, but yeah, sorry, yeah sorry, her show is missed. Yeah, no worries. But yeah, like, if anything, church announcements. Um, oh, church announcements. The majors, maybe about your podcast. So the majors is a platform that I started with. Someone who was just like a business associate, we just kept running into each other and at various sports industry events and being like a few of the only women of color in the room. Um, and so when you see another black girl in the room, it's like, oh, hey, black girl, <laughs> who are you? It's either like, you're my best friend or <laughs> right, we're enemies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know that feeling. So fortunately, we were able to connect. And then um, just, you know, through conversations and stuff, we decided to create a platform where we celebrated people like ourselves, like people of color who are young, doing dope stuff in sports, but don't get a platform or an opportunity to really talk about what it is that they're doing. People don't celebrate and highlight their achievements. And um, so that's something that we started last year. We had our first summit last year, which was great. It was a full day of, I think it had like six panels. And then of course we closed it out with like, not a party, but a turn up. Um, hey. Yeah, it's her situation. Up, up situation. <laughs> um, yeah, and so right now we have a podcast called The Majors Podcast where we talk about like current events in sports, but the intersection of sports with culture. Um, and that could be everything from fashion. So for Fashion Week, we covered a lot of the um, athlete-centric events that took place during Fashion Week and why that's a cool representation and a different side of um, what we see from athletes. Um, we talk about, like, so Josh Gordon, who is, well, he was on the Browns and now he's on the Patriots. Uh, when he got released from the Browns after being suspended for God knows how many seasons mm-hmm. was for several failed drug tests that launched into a conversation around legalizing marijuana in sports. Right. And so that became a broader discussion than just this guy smokes weed. He keeps getting suspended and that's it. So we use a lot of what's happening today as an opportunity to discuss the big picture and how that impacts or influences the overall industry or industry adjacent, um, things going on in sports and then so yeah so our podcast we record once a week you can listen to us on spotify Mm -hmm. you can follow us at be the majors on all of our platforms so that's instagram twitter uh facebook as well Uh, so that's something that i'm really excited about and then you can follow me at it's shana renee on instagram Mm -hmm. and twitter i-c-s-s-h-a-n-a-r-e-n-e-e And the blog is allsportseverything.com, which I haven't been updating as regularly, but I am going, excuse me, I am going to start updating it it again because it's a a platform that I've built and what people know me for. And I just, I think I'm going to do more videos, so it's not going to be as much writing. I just feel like people's attention span has shifted. So just trying to evolve with the times, I'm going to do a lot more video than just like penning stuff out. Great, that's awesome. So with all of these things that are happening, what would success look like for you? Um, Just continuing to do what I love, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanna be in a comfortable place financially and not like trying to be Jeff Bezos. <laughs> 
um, but yeah, I just want to continue to be have the opportunity to pursue what I love and to inspire change along the way. Mm-hmm. Amazing. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and this is uh, uh, I guess one of the final questions for from us. Um, and this is a ongoing question that we ask all of our guests. What has been like your most significant relationship, and why? Like, what kind of relationship? It doesn't have to be. Okay. Yeah, yeah it could. Um, it doesn't I have to be romantic. <laughs> like, it could be. That took a left turn. I might need a refill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I would say with my family, for sure, with my parents and my brother, they've been so instrumental in my entire journey. And like I said earlier. They're how I got into sports, right? I was introduced to sports through them. And they're, they continue to be one of the main reasons why I love sports so much. So I couldn't imagine that I would be where I am today without their support. So I would definitely say my parents and my brother. Mm. Mm. And um, I guess last but not least, like if you had like one piece of advice for young people of color trying to make it in the sports media world, like what would you tell them? Um, Own your voice. Be true to who you are. I know it sounds super cliche, but it's true. Like, your perspective matters. Um, Your perspective is what makes you special and unique. Two people may share a similar perspective, but what convicts you to think that way is different, and so that's what you really need to dive into and share. Um, There are so many times where just because of like working in sports and when you're writing, when you're someone who writes or shares your commentary on what's happening in in current events, a lot of times the same, you'll feel like the same story is being told over and over again. Um, But this is what makes you different from just like a reporter, whereas they're strictly facts-based. You're allowed to insert your emotion. You're allowed to insert your own personal experiences, your own anecdotes. And that's what people Mm -hmm. really grip onto in terms of that storytelling, right? And that's what makes, that's what people walk away remembering. So... Um, yeah, I would just say like own, own who you are, mm. trust who you are as well. Mm. Awesome. No, I think that was amazing. Um, I think we walked away with a lot of new facts and tidbits. Mm. Damn, WNBA, <laughs> WNBA, <laughs> still recovering from that. Woo. Yeah, but that huge things. That, that, that kind of made me reflect my reflect on my own experiences. Yo, yeah, kind of crazy. But um, on that note, um, once again. We, like to thank you for joining us Thanks for having me Robin of gems High fire <laughs> Tibbets um, Yeah, is, is there anything else you would like to add, Jojo? Um, follow us on 699 per pound on Instagram Just like the first time we're oh, yeah? <laughs> promoting we, we ourselves this shit? Yeah, oh, yeah, Shouting, yeah, shouting yeah. on our own platforms mm. um, Our amazing new producer, Ken has been really dancing up for social presence mm. So special thank you to Ken and please rate, share, and we love when we hear from you guys. Mm. I can't wait for to hear what you guys think about this episode and follow what Shana's doing. I'm yeah. about to follow, yes. follow you guys. Yeah, right for sure. And last Amazing. but not least, yo, start watching WNBA, yo. Yes. For real. And this is not a joke. Like I think I'm gonna have to start watching it. And let me just add this little um, punctuation mark. Mm. So 
A lot of times what I see is my male friends will bring their daughters to WNBA games because they're like, oh, female basketball for my daughters. No. WNBA is for everybody, right? And so a lot of times the reason why we have these Me Too movements or just the all of these gender equality pushes is because there is this train of thought in terms of women's insert whatever is inferior to men's insert whatever and I don't have children but at the young age is when you have to start to instill equality in their minds right and so bringing if you have sons and daughters nieces and nephews bringing them all to a game I feel like in the future they won't see it as a girl sport which makes it less than a man sport Mm. or a boy sport yeah no, that's Everyone get the final. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. But yeah, on that note, it's another episode of 699 per pound podcast. Like Jojo said, make sure you follow us, raiders, reviewers, tell a friend and do what you gotta do. You know what I mean? Go write graffiti about 699 per pound podcast. Go tag a police car. You know what I mean? Go do all these wild activities while shouting out 699 per pound podcast. Alright? Alright, peace. Hey yo, it's 6.99 per pound.